uh, we want to thank you for that blood that was shed on Calvary mm -hmm. and that plan of salvation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to uh, thank you again for all the things you do for us and the blessings you give us. We are so spoiled. And all that this in his name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good evening again. It's uh, good to be back. Um, I know that we've had some, the, the first several messages have sort of just been mind, uh, hopefully mind expanding uh, messages, messages to, to sort of make us think about some stuff that maybe we've thought about before, maybe we, we've thought about recently, but we want that as a springboard. And now tonight, uh, we're going to just talk about some basic Christian theology. Um, and it's not just a message about the theology of it, because we can get caught up in the theology of Christianity, or we can get caught up in the theology of God and who God is. And we can know all of the theology, but what it really is about is about a relationship with the theology giver. It's about a relationship with the very one who created theology, right? And without that relationship with the one true God who actually made it all, we can know everything about it and actually lack salvation. And without salvation, what's the point of any of us here tonight, right? Isn't that really the point behind this? So tonight we want to just talk about justification, all right. What does it mean? What does it look like to just simply be justified? First off, I ask a question. What does justification mean? Anybody? I ask questions, you give answers. Being right before God? Does anybody have a simple working definition of justification? What's that? Just as I am? Or just as if I had never sinned? Um, that's that's ju being justified. Because that's really the problem. That's the, that's the root or the crux of the problem right there. The problem is, is you and I have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And that leaves a chasm between me and between a holy God. And that is a chasm that you or I, none of us, can cross. It is impossible for us to come to the edge of that chasm on our own and be able to get to the other side without a Savior to take us from one side to the other side. And the Savior has to imagine it as a boat, okay? The Savior has to take his boat over, and he has to accept us into his boat, all right? Now, let's think about this for just a second. If you were standing on the other side of this chasm, maybe I should use an airplane because, you know, that's me. So, uh, to, to fly us over this chasm, is, is the Savior going to just let anybody onto his airplane? Or is he only going to let people that have said, you know what, I accept you as my Savior. Or I want you to be the person who takes me from one side to the other side. <clears throat> um, I remember a, a story uh, one time. This was back, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe. Um, it, was, it was one of my, uh, one of the most interesting days when I was flying. So in Chicago O'Hare Airport, um, I am on the airplane and we're actually parked out at a hard stand. So what that really means is we're parked out kind of in a parking area and the people walk out of the terminal across the tarmac and they walk upstairs to get on the airplane, okay? And uh, it, was a, it was a walk from like the parking lot out to the stairs. It was a pretty good walk out. And I, I watched this guy, I'm sitting in the, on the flight deck I watched this guy start walking out, and he's like, whoo, whoo, and he's giving the ramp, we call them rampers, the ramp people, um, high fives. I'm like, oh, obviously he's one of them, 
I don't know. So he gets on the airplane, and uh, he's still going, woo, woo. And he has his bag, and he drops his bag. And I could tell things were probably not going to go well. But you kind of, it's kind of one of those things you, you, you're sitting there uh, up front, and that's the flight attendant's problem, not my problem. <laughs> um, and you're hoping that being the captain, you're hoping that it doesn't become a my problem problem. You're hoping it's a their problem problem. Um, so anyway, the guy sits down, drops his bag. Flight attendant goes back and says, you, your bag can't be in the aisle. So he puts his bag in his lap. Well, you know that your bag can't be in your lap. It has to be in the seat, uh, under the seat in front of you or up in the overhead. And he's still occasionally letting out this whoo. Well, he gets up, he goes to the bathroom. Why? Let me give you a word of advice. If you have the opportunity to go to the bathroom in the terminal before you get on an airplane, please do. All right? I'm just... And don't take your shoes off and go to the bathroom. Uh, just words of advice. All right? So, the guy is making noise in the bathroom. He comes back out. He sits back down. By this time, the rest of the passengers are on, and he, everybody's looking at him, and they're, like, leaning out, looking up front. And my first officer and I are, like, leaning back so nobody can see through the flight deck door. <laughs> um, the flight attendant comes up, and I knew it was headed there. You just had that feeling. And uh, he or she, I don't remember... Uh, who they were, they, they said, you might need to come back here. Great. So I went back there and, and talked to this, spoke with this man, and as soon as he spoke, I realized why he's going, whoo, whoo, it's alcohol just... Um, the gate agents aren't actually supposed to let anybody that's been drinking onto the airplane, but they don't want to deal with it either. So I asked this guy, I said, hey, can you step off the airplane with me for a minute? Thankfully, the guy steps off, and I said, I got between him and the door, stood there, said, I'm really sorry, sir, but you're not going to be able to go with us on this flight. You're going to have to wait until you sober up. The guy was the most apologetic guy. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry for ruining your day. And I'm like, no, really, actually, this was pretty cool. <laughs> I got to kick you off my airplane, and you're happy about it. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, Removed him off the airplane, got his bags off, uh, took a little delay, obviously, and uh, he went into the terminal. I walked him into the terminal, told the gate agent. The reason behind that story, though, is, is we have that opportunity with Jesus Christ. Or not. All right? We may all want to get to the other side of the chasm. This guy wanted to get to wherever, whatever city we were going to, Right? But yet, he didn't have the right relationship, or he didn't have the right stuff with him, or he had too much stuff with him, actually, um, in his case. But you get the, the analogy behind that. The analogy is, is he was unable to go because of something that separated him from the person who was taking him there. All right? And... The same thing goes for you and I. If I am lacking a relationship with a personal Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who made the way, if I am lacking that relationship, it is going to be impossible for me to get from point A across the chasm to point B. All right? That's called justification. And it's... What separates us, that chasm, is sin, and so we have to be justified, or we have to be set apart. We have to, or, um, we have to be uh, removed from our sin, or we have to have that, that lawgiver, that perfect God, be able to see us without our sin, because he will not allow sin on his side of the chasm. All right? <clears throat> I want to read out of Ephesians 2, just a couple verses. Ephesians 2, 2 verses 8 and 9 say this, for by, the grace, for by grace ye are saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. 
It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, Paul says this over and over again in different ways at different times, all right? And he's saying it simply is impossible for you to work your way in onto the other side of the chasm. You, to put it this way, it is, you cannot shovel enough dirt into the chasm to, to make a pathway to get across. How many of you have tried? I'm raising my hand because I've tried to shovel dirt a lot, all right? And at some point, we all realize that's pointless. That chasm is so great. It's like the Grand Canyon. If you've seen the Grand Canyon, you stood on the rim, you'd be like starting to shovel dirt. But the chasm between our sinful flesh and a holy God would be like from here to Pluto, which isn't even a, I don't even know what they call it these days. But it's, an, it's just flat an impossibility, right? We just simply cannot do that. But yet, God, prior to creation, before the foundation of the world, knew that he would be the way maker, right, for us to cross that chasm. And not because of anything that we could do, but everything that he did for us. Romans 3, verses 21 through 28 say this. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the, without the deeds of the law. Where do you see picking up your shovel and starting to shovel dirt in that? It, it's just simply an impossibility. Not only is it an impossibility physically, it's just simply an impossibility from the law. God said, you can't do it. God said, you have to rely on me for that. All right? And that's called faith. And it's called grace. Now, you, you have to come tomorrow morning because I don't want us to leave out of here and say it's just cheap, free grace, and that's all we have to worry about, right? That's all we have to do. Because I'm, I feel like so much, so many times, that's, all, that's the only part that we get. It's the only part that we get. Just free grace. You know what? Grace isn't free. Grace cost a man 2,000 years ago, cost him his life's blood on a cross. It cost a father losing his son. It cost, it cost the world to be shaken and torn. Grace wasn't free. But yet, this grace giver is so good that he hands it out to you and me as a gift. Whether we choose to take it or not. <clears throat> In Christendom, one of the saddest things that I see is this idea of free grace. Um, and and I'll, I'll use my evangelical friends loosely here. Don't 
please don't take this too far. But some of my evangelical friends uh, definitely prescribe to this free grace or this grace that just, hey, you pray a prayer one night, uh, you accept Jesus into your heart, and, and basically the rest is history, okay? So I used to fly with this guy. His name was Doug Lang. Uh, Doug met Molly. Doug and Molly got married. They had kids. Uh, the first time that I flew with Doug, he uh, and Molly lost, they were losing their their first baby. Um, she had a congenital defect, and they knew that she was going to die. And Doug was praying. Uh, we went out to eat, and he was praying. And uh, that's fairly unusual for, for me to go out with uh, one of my crew members and have them actually be like, hey, let's pray before we eat. Usually it was, hang on a minute, I'm going to pray. Uh, but he was saying that to me, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. Um, and right after, uh, after that, I, or soon after that, I learned that, uh, Doug and Molly lost their baby. Um, I flew with them six months later or so, and he was all excited. He said, uh, Molly's pregnant with twins. I'm like, fantastic. That's awesome. That is really awesome. I'm really happy for you. Flew with them about a year later and asked him, oh, how are the twins doing? Oh, pretty good, but it kind of felt like something was off. Flew with him again or ran into him in the crew room. Asked him, hey, how's Molly and the family? And he's like, uh, we're getting a divorce. Wow, okay. You want to talk about it? We talked about it a little bit. And I said, hey, Doug, what, what about your Christian faith? What about, what about that relationship with Jesus? What about this? He's like, you know, that's no problem. He's like, I accepted Jesus into my heart done deal. I can do whatever I want to. Wow. Okay. You ever read Romans 6? Shall I continue in sin that grace should abound? What does Paul say at, the, at that point? What does he say? Can I continue? God forbid. Absolutely. And then he repeats it in verse 13, 14, somewhere in there. Right? And he says this. And this is, this is for us to take and us to not just say, free grace, I get to do whatever I want to do after the fact. Right? That's one of the saddest things that I see. But I think we, especially sometimes as conservative Christians, I think sometimes what we see is we don't want to give enough free grace or cheap grace. <laughs> um, I know... I know that grace costs, but for us who have been handed, let's just let's just put it in a box so our mind can wrap our so we can wrap our minds around it. All right, grace is so much bigger than any box. But in essence, what Jesus has done is he's he has this box of grace, and this is enough grace for all of us, right? And he walks up to us and he says, "Jordan, do you want this box of grace?" And Jordan then has a chance to say. Yeah, I'll take the grace. Or, not right now. Or, I don't ever need your grace, right? If we've been given that much grace, shouldn't it be easy for us to also box up enough grace? If Jordan does something that I'm like, I really wish Jordan wouldn't do this. There, nothing, by the way. I'm, <laughs> I'm just using you as an example. Shouldn't I also be able to go up to Jordan with a box of grace and say, you know what? What you did hurt, but I've got enough grace because it's been given to me. And we as conservative Christians oftentimes don't want to, to do that to other people. We as Christians in general sometimes don't want to do that. But Shouldn't we be the first, the most giving of anybody? Why should there ever be someone who is actually more giving than one of us who has actually received that gift? Shouldn't we be the most giving that there is? Absolutely. Absolutely we should be. So, that all being said, when someone who doesn't 
look quite right, act quite right, seem quite right, steps into our circles. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're really rough looking compared to what we think should be sitting in our benches or our, our chairs, right? Maybe they smell. Shouldn't we be offering them that same gift that has been given to us? In saying, introducing, giving the gospel to them? Shame on us as Christians for not doing that. One of the other probably more sad things that I've seen in my Christian walk is this about justification. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, there was an older man who was um, in his 80s, and I would go and visit him. Um, uh, and we would talk about life and stuff, and this older man knew that life was getting to his end, and he would oftentimes look at me and say, I just hope that there's something that I have done in my past that I've, that I've failed to ask forgiveness for. I just hope that there's, some, there, that there's nothing that I've, that I've failed to ask forgiveness for that's going to keep me out of heaven. And my heart would break for him. Do you know why? Because that's not the free gift of grace that we've been given. That's not the grace that covers all sins. That's not the freedom that you and I should be living in. We should be able to live in this gift of grace. And we should be able to thrive in this gift of grace. And we should not be having to worry about whether there's something in our past. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he covered it all. How many times? Once for all, right? That's all it took. He didn't have to go back to the cross. He didn't ever have to go back there the, the Jews would go back year after year after year and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. They would slaughter all the spotless lambs for the sins of the people. Year after year after year. And then Christ died once for all. And we can live in that freedom. We can live holy, righteous lives. Not because we're righteous and holy, but because He's righteous and holy. You see, Satan always says, here's the road, here's a ditch, and here's a ditch. And he doesn't care which ditch you fall in. He just wants you in the ditch. He doesn't care if you're over here and you're uh, not living a uh, um, life of, of freedom and a, and a life in the glory of the grace that we've been given, or he doesn't care if you're in this ditch of, of uh, uh, freedom to do anything that you want to do, right? He just wants us to be in a ditch. <clears throat> we as Christians need to also remember that just as, Ab just as Abram um, was called Abraham at some point in his life, it took years before God changed him from Abram to Abraham. Sometimes when people step in as babes in Christ, they step in and we want them to look like us, act like us, be like us, and be as, as mature in Christ as we are the day that they step in. Actually, oftentimes, we want them to do that all prior to them stepping into the family of God. How many of your kids didn't need any training? All right, that's it. How many of, maybe I should ask it this way. How many of you, as children, didn't need training from your parents? Because, in essence, when we step into the body of Christ, that's what we are. And we need training from other godly men and women in the body of Christ to teach us and to bring us along in this journey of justification.
Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. It's just a couple more verses over there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says this. Ephesians 1, 13. In whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, Jesus, the one we trusted, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You and I are sealed in our justification. If I were to make justification something, this is what I would make justification. I would make it a period. Okay, a dot. We have our timeline, and we have a dot. And our timeline continues. All right, all of us have a timeline. We have our birth, and we have our earthly death. And somewhere along that timeline, you have an opportunity, actually multiple places along that timeline, you have an opportunity to place a dot called justification. To go on with another analogy to make this dot on this timeline meaningful to us, I'll use Bonnie and I's marriage, all right? So, um, back in 1998, August 14th, Bonnie and I got married. August 13th, were Bonnie and I married in any way? This is the day prior to our wedding. Were Bonnie and I married in any way on August 13th? No, we weren't. We were engaged. We were looking forward to our wedding the next day. But we simply were not married in any manner on August 13th. On August 14th, at about 3 3 a.m., at about 3 p.m., my uncle pronounced this husband and wife. Were we married at that, at that moment? Right, we were. Are we more married today than we were at 3 p.m. on August 14th, 1998? Can we actually be more married today than we were then? Is it possible for Bonnie and I to be more married? Our marriage relationship has changed, But we simply cannot be more married, can we? It is an impossibility for us to be more married now than when my uncle pronounced this. There's an ant up here. I don't know, maybe I smell. (laughs) Um, It is an impossibility for us to be more married than what we were the very moment that my uncle pronounced this husband and wife. That is the same thing with our justification in Christ, all right? When, Christ, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, and I used to think that there was something that we could do to actually accept Jesus into our heart. I used to kind of be like, I, there's about 1% that we can do. I used to think, you know, God comes knocking on our heart, and our 1% to do was actually to open our heart's door and let Jesus in. I don't even think it's possible for us to open our heart's door anymore. I think Jesus comes and he knocks, and we have a willingness, and that's about all we can muster. And Jesus, and, and the only thing that we can do is say, Jesus, I can't even open my heart's door to you. You have to take the, the gumption or the strength, because I simply don't have the strength to do it. And you have to open the door for me, and you have to come in and abide in me. And I want you to do that. And that's about all we can do. Because otherwise, if there's something that we can do, guess what we're going to do? It's my works. I did it, right? I got my door open. And we can't even do that, okay? But I want us to be secure in the fact that as we go along our timeline, and when Jesus comes and he's knocking on our door, 
I want us to be secure that when we say, Jesus, I accept you into my heart, and he steps, he opens the door for us, and he steps into our heart, I want us to know it's just like, for those of us who have been married, it's just as like the moment that we were married, and we simply cannot be more married than at that moment. All right? We do not, I don't have to worry about my wife and me not being married anymore. Like I, um, I don't have to, to, to wake up and be like, I wonder if I'm still married today. I know I'm still married, all right? Um, back, um, I remember one time I was flying, we were down, we had an overnight in Mexico, and I failed. This was back before um, cell phone service was actually as good as it is now, crossing over into international. And uh, I failed to, to tell Bonnie that um, I would be in Mexico actually for a, a whole day. So we got in late one night. We were there the whole next day, and we flew out the following day. And um, somehow I, I missed telling Bonnie that, that we would be gone. So she actually started to get a little bit worried the next day when I didn't call her or text. It was really prior to texting, if you can imagine that, too. Um, and she eventually called the um, I, uh, chief pilot, I'm not sure, and they called the hotel. Uh, when my crew and I stepped in to the hotel, they said, hey, are you the... Uh, United Express crew, and we said yes, and they told me uh, my wife was looking for me. Well, immediately I'm worried that she's worried, you know, and I called her, and she's like, no, I was just worried about you. Were we any less married at that, at that moment because we were separated by miles and separated by time? What about this? What about if we are having a disagreement? What if not that this would ever happen, but hypothetically speaking, if my, <laughs> you guys know that's not true. If my wife and I were disagreeing about something, and maybe it's a um, passionate disagreement, all right? And we're just kind of at odds. I know none of you know anything about this, but what if, are we any less married at that moment? No, we're not. We are just as married as the moment that my uncle pronounced us husband and wife, right? Justification is that point in time when Christ comes in and abides. We don't have to, after the fact, be worried and, and wonder, are we or aren't we? When we sin, and, and please hear me out, don't think that I'm advocating sin. Don't think that, I'm not, that, that we're not going to talk about what we actually do need to do, because that's tomorrow morning, all right? But on the justification side of things, there are times when we are justified and we just simply sin. We fall. We fail. We don't need to worry about, oh man, am I in or am I out? Am I in? Am I out? Right? Let's turn over to Romans 8. We'll wrap this up at the end of Romans 8. Paul here gives the best defense for us in our justification that we can have. He gives us the best assurance that we can have for our security in our justification. All right? Romans chapter 8. We'll get there in a second. 
Bonnie and I have been married for 20, a little over 22 years. How many of you have the ability to dissolve our marriage? Do any of you have the ability to dissolve Bonnie and I's marriage? Who has the ability to dissolve Bonnie and I's marriage besides God? I'm saying earthly. She's one party, and I'm another party. The two of us could say, or actually she could say, or I could say, at this time, I choose to get a certificate of divorce, right? I have the ability to, I have the ability to do that. She has the ability to do that. There is only two people who have the ability to separate our marriage. One of them is me, and one of them is her. Okay? Nobody else has the ability to do that. Not Satan. Not my family, not my friends, not my neighbors, not my church. Nobody else can do that. Now, who has the ability to dissolve our justification? So here we are, point in time, bam, we're justified. Continue on from that point. I'm justified, I'm justified, I'm justified. Who has the ability to dissolve our justification. How many people are involved in this relationship? I'm involved because I'm justified. And Christ is involved because he's my justifier, right? There are two people that have the ability to dissolve our relationship. Now, let's read this. Romans chapter 8. We'll pick it up at verse 35. We would read all of Romans 8. It just probably for revival meetings, you should just start at Romans 1 and just start reading through. And when the hour hit, you just stop. And then you pick it up, just continue to read Romans. That's all you do. <laughs> no comments, nothing, just Romans. Anyway, we'll, we'll take a snippet of Romans chapter 8. Pick it up at verse 35 um, through the end of the chapter. And it says this, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Shall any of these things separate us? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, who has the ability, or who, okay, maybe I shouldn't say ability, because God does have the ability but what is God's promise? And is he a true promise giver and keeper of his promises? Do you still see rainbows in the sky? That's not to uh, give the LGBTQ plus community kudos. That is because of a flood clear back in Noah's day. And he still gives that to us. See the stars in the sky? He said, I will hold them in the same positions. And the very first book of the Bible that was written, Job, talks about the constellations that we still see in the sky today. Right? Because our God, when he promises something, he is true and faithful and just, and he keeps those promises, and we simply do not have to worry about him keeping his side of the promise. Now, who has the ability to separate us or to cancel our justification? God promises that he won't, so who has the ability to do it? Me, right? I'm the only one who has the ability to come along and say, along my timeline, I was justified here. At this point in my life, I choose to no longer be justified. 
I do not have to worry as long as I do not come to that point in my life. I do not have to worry about whether I am justified or whether I am not justified. All right? I don't have to worry about whether I'm in or whether I'm out. Like I said, please, please, don't think that that's all there is to it. Okay? I want us to be able to live a justified life, to be able to live as conquerors, as free men in Christ, able to go out and live the lives that he has chosen for us. Right? I don't want any of us to worry about whether we are justified or not justified. I don't want us to worry about whether we've done something that's going to keep us out or whether we uh, are able to just live lascivious lives. I want us to be able to be solid Christian men and women eating meat, knowing that we are secure in Jesus Christ and our justification is secure. And I want you if you've never done this, this is something that, that really, really helped me, especially as a young person. It's something that really helped me. Back 12 years old, except Christ, as I went along in my Christian walk, later in my teen years, I, you know, I start to have questions. Did I, did I really um, accept Jesus? Was, it, was that really enough? I mean, it seemed so simple. Uh, he offered me the box of grace, and I took that box of grace, but that just seems too simple, right? But I want you guys to do this, whether, if you ever, because occasionally Satan just comes at you and just says, are you sure? Are you really sure? I don't know if you guys have had that experience or not. I've had it multiple times in my life, and Satan just says, are you sure? And I want you guys to do this. Plant a flag. Maybe it's the flag is today. All right, plant a flag that says, I am secure in Christ because on this day, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior, and that flag still stands. Maybe that flag needs to be a, an actual physical flag that you can go out and you can look out your window in your house and you can see. If Satan is attacking you on a regular basis, plant that flag, and then every time Satan comes along, go to that window or go outside and say, look, you see that flag, Satan? That flag says that I'm still justified, and I don't have to worry about it, and you can leave. Because that's what we need to do. Otherwise, we'll live a defeatist life in Christ, and we don't need to do that. All right? What if you haven't planted that flag yet? What if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ into your Lord or into your heart as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to give an opportunity, an invitation tonight. If any of you feel the need to actually, on a more than just personal, private level, on a level that says, I'm ready to come forward and be part of the kingdom of Christ in a public setting to let everybody know that I am planting a flag today, that I'm going to be justified today, and I do not have to worry about my justification from today forward. If you haven't done that yet and you would like to, stand, come forward while we sing. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of the leadership here afterwards. But please, please, be able to live that freedom in Christ. Be able to walk forward and say, not today, Satan and not any other day after today. Because my justification is secure because of one 2,000 years ago who made a way to take me across the chasm to the other side. What shall we sing?
Amen. Just as I am. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter where you've been, what sins you think you've committed. I had an, I had an uncle, 57 years old, on his deathbed, liver cirrhosis. And he said, you know, I've just simply done too much. There is, it's impossible for a God to save me. And he died. And at that moment, God said, you're right. It's impossible for me to save you. And all he had to do was say, I come broken. I come empty. And I need you to fill me. Don't wait for the hammer to fall. You don't know if it's going to be at 57. You don't know if it's going to be at 16. You don't know if it's going to be at 96. But along your life's journey, make sure that you have your point of, sal of salvation. Your justification is secure and sealed so that you can live freely for the rest of your life. Don, you want to lead us in prayer, please?